0: As you know, last week we started to look at the concept of building God's house together. And we started off looking at the scripture of Matthew chapter 16 verse 18. And I'm going to read it again. And this is in response to Jesus asking his disciples who had been with him for a number of years now. And, you know, the thing I love about Jesus is that as human beings we have a tendency to... Well, maybe I'll just speak for myself here. Sometimes, as human beings, we have a tendency to busy ourselves about other people, about what they're not doing or what they should be doing or they're not doing it the way you would do it. But Jesus always brings it back. Jesus always brings it back and brings the focus onto us. You know, Jesus said, those of you who say, oh, look at the speck in your eye. And he says, but yet you've got a plank in your own eye. And so Jesus was with his disciples and they were discussing about who Jesus was. And you'd think that by now they kind of had an idea of who he was. So he said, who do men say that I am? And some referenced John the Baptist. Now John the Baptist was a mighty man of God. He was a prophet of God. He was someone who'd been prophesied about who'd prepared the way for Jesus. But that's not who Jesus was. Others said, Jesus, you're like Elijah, the great Old Testament prophet who called fire down from heaven. An awesome man of God, very powerful, but that's still not who Jesus was. And then he turned it around and said, okay, forget about what everybody else is saying about who I am. Who do you say that I am? And that was quite a a, a direct question because he knew who they thought he was. But did they know who they thought they knew who he was without getting into a, um, a tongue twister? And then Peter says, you are the son of God. And in response to that, Jesus says in um, verse 18, he says this, And I I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or other versions say hell, shall not prevail against it. And last week, we looked at the fact that An accurate revelation of who Jesus is is foundational to building his house. And I've got a little quote here. It says this. If we don't have God's perspective of truth, our lives will be based on a lie and will be futile and wasted in the light of eternity. I'll say that again. If we don't have God's perspective of truth, our life will be based on a lie and will be futile and wasted in light of eternity. You know, when you look at um, the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, what was the first thing the serpent tried to do? It was to corrupt what God had said. He said to the woman, has God said? And in the same way, in our own lives, that's his mastermind, that's, his, that's the thing he does. He seeks to undermine or corrupt the truth of God's word. Because it's knowing the truth that sets us free. It's knowing the truth that transforms us. It's knowing the truth that brings us into reality from God's perspective. And it's vital in this day that you and I are living in that we see life, that we see circumstances, that we see ourselves, we see our dreams, our ambitions, the things that we're putting so much energy and time into from God's perspective, from a position of truth. You know, the scripture in the New Testament is full of exhortations, full of encouragement that we're supposed to be like strangers and pilgrims. A pilgrim is somebody who's passing through. But if we don't don't have that as a reality, as truth, not head knowledge, most of these scriptures, some of us or most of us know off by heart. We could quote them. You probably even quote them better than I can. But the reality is Jesus said, it's not hearing God's word. It's doing his word. Last week we looked at the issue that Jesus said upon this rock, upon this revelation of who Jesus is, God would build his church. And in in another part of the scripture, he talks about the wise man who built on the rock. What was the difference between the wise and the foolish? It It wasn't that they didn't hear what God had said. It's that one believed it enough for it to impact how they did life. It, they believed it enough to actually practice what the Word taught. And so that's the key. It's the truth. It's knowing the truth that sets us free. Sets us free from what? It sets us free from the corruption of this world. It sets us free from the lies of the enemy. When the Pharisees and the Sadducees lied, Jesus said, you're just like your father. He was a liar from the beginning. The truth sets us free. Lies corrupt they cause you to believe something that's not really true. But because you believe it, it becomes your reality, you base your whole life on it. Jesus said, wisdom is justified by her children. What is the fruit of the life we're living? The reason why the scripture constantly exhorts us to remember that we're strangers and pilgrims because our natural tendency is to get comfortable in the world that we live in. When God created us, he created us in his image and in his likeness. The scripture says that God is a spirit. But we've got it it back to front. We think we're bodies. So all our emphasis, all that we do, all, all that consumes our life primarily is about the physical. What I can see, what I can hear, what I can taste, what I can touch. Whereas God's kingdom, God's truth turns that completely upside down. Jesus says that without faith it's impossible to please God. But faith, what is faith? It's hearing God's words and believing it and that belief causing you to do something based on what you know God is saying. But it looks ridiculous in the natural. Think about it. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, healed the dead, raised the, um, healed the dead. Well, I suppose he healed them if they were dead and they came back to life. But he raised the dead, he healed the sick, he opened blind eyes. And yet he died naked on a cross. That seems like such a joke. He must have looked so pathetic. He must have looked like a complete failure. And there are times when God's word, when we operate in God's word, when we speak, when we act in faith, when we speak God's word, you might look absolutely ridiculous. But if the truth you're believing is based on the truth that comes from God, it will stand for all eternity. The, you know the idea of rewards. Some Christians say, "Oh no, I just want to love Jesus. I'm not interested in rewards." Do you know how many um, scriptures, how many verses are that actually mention, mention the importance of rewards? God wants to reward His children. Rewards aren't a bad thing. Rewards are a good thing. And our whole life, our whole essence, our whole being, all that we do on this earth, Jesus teaches that there's going to be a day when we stand before him and we're going to give an account for how we've lived on this earth. You know it was quite funny last week you know I did this whole teaching on um, building God's house and then I said and here are the departments in our church and it kind of sounded like a good plug but the reality is building God's house isn't an ethereal concept that sounds good that we kneel before God in worship and prayer and we say, oh God, use me. It's very practical. You look at Jesus' teaching about spirituality. It's very practical, it's very hands-on. And so, us building God's house isn't done in a vacuum. It's done where he's placed you, whether it's in the church and outside of the church as well. The scripture says we're called as kings and priests, our priestly service, our worship includes what we do in God's house, although it's not exclusively what we do in God's house. It's in addition to that and what God's called us to do outside. You know, in chapter 8, verse 37 to 38, Jesus warned us. He said, don't be ashamed of my word. We're talking about building God's house here. Now, you might think, oh, why on earth would I be ashamed of God's word? If you look at society today... Some of the things that God's word teaches is really inconvenient to preach and to declare because it flies in the face of political correctness. It flies in the face of being together and being one. Jesus said quite clearly if you're ashamed of me and my word, what I stand for, who I am, then I'm going to be ashamed of you on that day. Building God's house is twofold. We mentioned this last week. It's first of all our relation it's out of our relationship with God, worshiping God, honoring God, living before him, seeking to honor him. And out of that place, it's working together with others. And I've I rather crudely try to explain the history of the Old Testament in terms of the um before they went into exile, whilst they were in exile, and when they came out of it. Exile, and it's really interesting when you see how the different prophets who were speaking before the exile, during the exile, and after the exile, the kinds of issues that they were highlighting and the things that they were speaking to his people about. Now, in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 to 3, I just want to quickly turn to this Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 to 3. Now, as you know, Isaiah was a prophet. Um, One of the major prophets, just because of the size of the book, not because of how important he was. All the prophets were important. Some are major because they were longer. Some are minor because they were smaller. That's the only difference there. And he says something, you know, when Isaiah was preaching, it was before the children of Israel had gone into captivity, the southern kingdom. But the northern kingdom had already been taken into captivity. Okay, the Assyrians, those wicked people had come, they'd taken the northern kingdom into captivity, and they were going to take the southern kingdom into captivity as well, but because King Hezekiah believed God's word, that attack or that, that attack was stayed, but eventually they did go into exile. Now, Jeremiah had prophesied before that God's people were going to go into exile, they were going to become slaves, and then after 70 years, God would set them free. Now, in Isaiah chapter 60, verse um, thir- verse 1 to 3, Isaiah says this, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Now, here, the Spirit of God was speaking through the prophet Isaiah that there was a responsibility on God's people to arise there was a responsibility on God's people for their light to shine Jesus said that we are like a city set on a hill a city that cannot be hid Jesus said let your light shine so that others may see what see what it means to be a Christian and how to live and so in building God's house once we understand the importance of being involved in God's work, out of our worship to God, we also have a, have a personal responsibility in how we um, connect with God and out of that connection, um, minister to what God has called us to do. Now, um, let me just, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. In Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1 to 7, During this time when Ezekiel gave this prophecy God's people were in captivity they had been taken out of their land and they were now slaves and God had raised up the prophet Ezekiel to speak his word and then God gives Ezekiel a vision of a valley of dry bones and God says to him can these bones live and it seemed like such a ridiculous question. Have you ever, have you ever eaten chicken? Yes? Anyone here ever eaten chicken? And I'm talking to a church full of black people and white people. Okay. Now, personally, I'm not one for chewing bones. I know, shock, horror, can you believe it? Okay. But there are members in my family who really enjoy a juicy bone, okay? When the bone is soft and juicy and sweet, it is. Yeah. But when the bone's dry, cracker, it's just, what is this? Dry bones speak of there's nothing of any value. It looks ridiculous. It looks hopeless. And then God asks, can these dry bones live? And this morning, you might feel spiritually you're like a dried bone. The children of israel were in captivity because they had continually rebelled against god's word they had continually turned their back on what god was teaching and speaking and requiring of them and so it was their own fault they were in that situation because god had warned them but they had refused to listen but even in the midst of that situation god wanted to do something in their lives God wanted to bring about a transformation out of a situation that looked absolutely hopeless. In another part of the scripture, it says, It's not by might. It's not by power but it's by my spirit and the scripture says in this chapter in Ezekiel that God by his spirit began to move upon these bones and then it became a great and mighty army and there is a great and mighty army that God is wanting to build in these last days. There is something that God needs to do, in fact there's loads of things that God wants to do in our generation today. But it takes us to be willing to make ourselves available. It takes us to be willing to to have those conversations with God about the areas that we keep holding on to that we refuse to let go. And God say, No, you need to submit this area to me. We're like, oh no, God, I'm gonna keep it. And God say, No, no, you need to submit this area to me. There are some of us who we've allowed ourselves to believe the lie of the enemy. And you may say, Well, what do you mean I've believed the lie of the enemy? What I mean is that. The place we find ourselves today is so far removed from what God has for us. It's so far removed from what God intended us to be able to do and where we should be today. God asked the question, can these dry bones live? And the only reason those dry bones could live was because of the spirit of God and what he was doing. And the same spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit of God that lives in you and I. But we have to cooperate with him in order to allow him to flow through us. We have to say yes to him. We have to allow him to go into those dry places in our lives. We have to allow him to go into those places of pain, those places where we'd really rather not deal with that today, Lord. But allow him to come in and transform us, to enable us to be able to flow into what he has with us. What is God saying to you today? What area is it that he's challenging you today? The scripture teaches, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. The children of Israel heard God's voice, but they made excuses as to why they couldn't, they shouldn't, and they wouldn't obey him. And the scripture says that that whole generation died in the wilderness because of their unbelief. Do you know, even Jesus marveled at unbelief. And the scripture says, he went to, let me see if I can find it, in, I think it's Matthew, no. Mark, Matthew chapter 8 verse 10, I think it's that one. If it's not, I'll find the right scripture. And the Bible says that he could do he couldn't do any miracles because of their unbelief. Let me just make sure I'm giving you the right scripture there. No, this is the exact opposite. This is the one of the centurion who said, Lord, I'm a man under authority. You don't even have to come to my house. You just say the word and it will be done. And in this scripture, the Bible says that Jesus marveled at his belief. And the thing was, the centurion wasn't even a Jew. He wasn't part of the household of faith, but yet he was able to believe God and Jesus marveled. And then in another part, I'll find the scripture before we close. The Bible says that he couldn't do many miracles because, I mean, Jesus Christ, the son of God. He couldn't do many miracles because of their lack of faith. And I want to throw the gauntlet down to us today that we'd be willing to believe what God is saying to us. They will be willing to take the risk, to do what's necessary to see His kingdom come and to see his house be built. That was just my introduction. <laughs> Thank you, Jake. So building God's house is twofold. First Corinthians chapter six, verse nine to 11. First Corinthians chapter six, verse nine to 11. It says this Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Why does he say, Do not be deceived? Because the tendency is we can kid ourselves. When the scripture says something deliberately, it's for a reason. He says, Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And such were some of you. But the scripture goes on to say, we were washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. This is significant. Why? Because building God's house together means that you and I are going to be working in close proximity. And you know, everybody's coming from somewhere. And as we're seeking to build God's house together, we're going to have to rub shoulders with each other. And depending on who's coming from where, rubbing shoulders can be very uncomfortable. Especially when people are quite different to you. You know, last week we looked at the... the, the um, well, I very briefly mentioned about the Black Panthers and that the American um, political system were really um, anxious and worried about what these people were going to do. And they tried different ways to try and crush them and try and stop them from being able to make headway. And one of the ways that they were most successful was by sowing disunity amongst, amongst them. And so they began to believe the hype. The, the lies and the things that were said, they believed it and then they ended up destroying themselves. And one of the ways the enemy is able to weaken us in terms of building God's house together is through that. It's through sowing lies, sowing disunity, causing people to think things about people that aren't even true. But if you believe it, it becomes your reality. And so, although we all have a past and we've all got issues that we're working through, Our past is never an excuse for our bad behavior. It's never an excuse. You know, there's a way in which God expects us to relate to each other as Christians. There's a way in which God expects me to treat you, and there's a way in which God expects you to treat me. I remember once um, there was uh, something happening, and I'm going to keep this as general as possible. You know me, I like to keep things general. And... um, Someone came into service and they were really upset and they made it clear they were very upset. And then a dignitary came in who they were hosting. And immediately their whole persona changed. They were very respectful, very friendly. They even walked really humbly next to them. Now, I'm not saying this to criticize or judge because we all do it. I mean, you know. But I thought, look at that. As God's people, it's not that we don't know how to behave, it's how we choose, or who we choose. Because the person was still upset, but there's a way in which they conducted themselves because they thought this person was really important. So all the frustration, all the anger, all the angst just dissipated. And they were suddenly very accommodating, and very warm, and, and very kind, I mean, I know that we don't have any married couples like this in church because you all are just really um, spiritual. Big argument in the car. Soon as you come out the car. Praise the Lord. Hi, how are you? How are you doing? Building God's house means that we need to know how to build healthy relationships. And building healthy relationships means you're going to get hurt, it means you're going to get disappointed. It means that you're going to experience things that maybe you didn't plan on experiencing, but that's all, part of, that's all part of church. You heard the list that Paul gave, and such were some of you. And so in order for us to build God's house, we have to take responsibility for our behavior, but also have an element of, not element, we need to relate to each other with graciousness, with kindness, with, with compassion. You know, when... Um, Paul was talking, was writing his epistles to the church by the Spirit of God. There's certain phrases he would use. Endeavor to keep the unity of the peace. Endeavor. You know, there are sometimes you have to endeavor. In other words, you have to be deliberate about it. You have to make the effort about it. It says um, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1: if you see your brother taken over in a fall, you which are spiritual, restore one. What? With the spirit of meekness. In other words, there's a manner and way in which we speak to people. Jesus said, if you go to the altar and you remember that you, your brother has all against you, what should you do? Leave your gift and go and make peace. But how many of us actually do that? Romans chapter 6 verse 11. Romans chapter 6, verse 11 says this, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So here, Paul was saying that, If you read the whole context of the scripture of that actual chapter, he was talking about the fact that yes, we're born in sin. There are certain behaviors that we struggle with. You know, when someone's a slave, they have no control. But here he was saying, but now we're slaves to God. We're slaves to righteousness. So in other words, you and I have control of ourselves. We are no longer slaves to sin. As a born-again Christian, when you and I choose to sin, that's exactly what we're doing. We are choosing to sin. We're not helpless victims, not as a born-again Christian, because the Spirit of God lives inside of us, and the greater one lives in us. The scripture says, with every temptation that you You and I face. God will make a way of escape. Every temptation that you face, every single temptation you're going to face this week, God will make a way of escape. He will make a way of escape. But the issue is whether or not you and I choose that way of escape. Everybody has the opportunity to be offended. I have the opportunity to be offended. You have the opportunity to offended, to be offended. But with every temptation, God will make a way of escape. And as we're seeking to build God's house, as we're seeking to maybe join different departments and join different teams, it's important that we understand that, you know, people are going to say things you don't like. I like what Jake says, every church has a toilet. You know, we come into church and we expect everything to be perfect. But unless you're perfect, that ain't going to happen. For transformation to take place in society, has to take place in church. For transformation to take place in church, has to take place in individuals. And so each one of us, as we are transformed, as we take responsibility to partner with God to allow his transforming power to take place in our lives, then our church becomes transformed. And as the church becomes transformed then the world becomes transformed. Very often, if you look at the scriptures, the scriptures speaking to the church, not to the world. When the scripture says, this, these people who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God, he's not talking to the world, he's talking to the church. When he says about love and the importance of love, though I speak of tongues of men and, angel, men and of angels, though I, am able to, though I give my body to be burned, though I give to the poor, but have not charity and have not love, I'm useless what good is that? Because everything we do, when we stand before God on that day, will be filtered by God's holy fire. It will be filtered by what was actually motivating. Because the Bible says on that day, many will say, but Lord, didn't I cast out devils? Didn't I heal the sick? I mean, come on, if Joe came back from South Africa and said he raised 15, de- in fact, if he just raised one dead person, we'd think, awesome. Or oh, I'd be impressed. I mean, you guys don't look like it. I'd, I'd be impressed. Okay. You know, if someone came and testified and said, Listen, I've sold all my 12 houses and given them to help the, the orphans in India, we'd think, God bless you, that, you're real serious. But what does God think? That is what matters. Whether you get, in church, get involved in church or not, that's not the issue. What does God think? Whether you're a parent, whether you're a teacher, whether you're an executive, that's great. What does God think? What is God's perspective on how we're living our lives? What we've done up until this point, what's the date today? The 20th? Up until, let's say, from January the 1st to March the 20th, how we've lived these three months this year, what does God think? What's God's perspective? Do we know? Do we care? Because at the end of the day, it's about him. We could live our whole lives, but if God doesn't approve of the life we've lived, it's wasted. Wasted life. But if you and I don't have the reality of who Jesus is, then we'll completely miss the mark. We'll be chasing things that God never intended us to chase. You know, when the um, people of Israel, the children of Israel, some went back to um, build Jerusalem, build the temple, and build the walls, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, the prophets would go back and say, "Guys, look at the state of your lives. What are you doing?" And they would highlight different things that were in their lives, and they would change, get right with God, and then go back again. And they would change, get right with God. And then go back with them, go back again. And when I read it, I got really, I got, I got really convicted. I was like, "Can they say what's wrong with us? Why do, why do we do that? Why, why do we do that? Why can't?" And I'm going to try and not get emotional here, but well, why can't we just honor God for His Word? He's done so much for us. He gave His only Son for us, who was who was crucified, whose body was bruised and broken, and. It was it was it was such a terrible, terrible sacrifice that Jesus paid for us. What more does he have to do? God sent his son for love, and we didn't deserve it. We were in our sins. You know, we were living our own way. God didn't have to do any of that, but he did. And he asks us, he asks us for our life in return. What more does he have to do? Okay, so you're overdrawn. Okay, so you haven't got your husband. Okay. He gave his life for you. You're going to spend, we're going to spend eternity in paradise forever and ever and ever and ever. And all he asks is that, that our, this brief stay on, our, on this earth. Three score and ten, if we're lucky or maybe even more, this brief stay on this earth, but it's so complicated because God wants all our lives. It's, it's not right. It really isn't right. When God asks us to make him the Lord of our lives, it's not because he hates us. It's not because he doesn't want us to have a life but he is the author of life. He came to give us life in its fullness. And the enemy shakes the lies and the deception like a, shiny, like a shiny jewel. And we just turn our back on God and run after it. Beloved, it's wrong. Our lives belong to Jesus. And we need to live like they belong to him. We need to be honest with him. We need to allow his spirit to take control of our lives. The reason why the world's in a mess is not because of the devil. It's because of us. It's because we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. Some of us gave up chasing God a long time ago and started chasing money. You know... In the Old Testament, they very often chide the children of Israel because of the idolatry. And I know, typically, in our Western culture, we don't typically have figurines that we bow down to, typically. But idolatry is anything we allow or we give pride of place to that should be God's. For some of us, it's our children and I'm a mum, so I can say that. It's our children. For some of it, some of us it's our pride. For some of us it's our offence. For some of us it's our background. So whenever God challenges us, oh no, but you don't understand. And it's wrong. We need to come back to we need to come back to Him. We really do. That's the only way. That's the only way we're gonna make a difference in this world. That's the only way we're going to have true transformation. Jesus said, or rather Jesus, by the spirit of God, he said, when my people who are called by my name, his name, what he stands for, will humble themselves. When you humble yourself, you have a realistic understanding of where you're at and pray and turn from their wicked ways god's people he's, he's not talking about the non-christians he's talking about us our wicked ways we have to turn from our sins we have to go back to our first love all that all that other nonsense we just have to just let it go big deal you're offended Get over it. Because that offence, if we don't deal with it, it's going to send us somewhere else. Jesus said, if your brother offends you, go to them. Not call up 10 people on the phone and tell them what they've done. But we do that all the time and we think it's okay. It's not okay. If I have unforgiveness in my heart, it's not okay. God does not understand. God says, I have to repent of it. If I'm looking at pornography, it's not okay. God doesn't understand. Because with every temptation, God makes a way of escape. We need to go back to Jesus. If you don't remember anything I've said today, we need to go back to the cross. And the cross is such a horrible thing, place of self-denial. It's not a glorious thing, it really isn't. That's why Jesus said there are two roads. I wish there were more, but there aren't. There's two, the wide and the straight and narrow And the straight and narrow means that you have to pay careful attention to what you're doing. And God never expected us to do it in our own strength. God never expected us to be perfect. That's why Jesus came. That's why the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive us. But if we're not even honest enough to admit that we're the one in the wrong, if we're not even honest enough to admit that we've sinned, how can the blood of Jesus cleanse us? How can the truth set us free? And I, I understand that there are struggles. I, I, and I'm not for one minute um, belittling those challenges. But God said with every temptation, he will make a way of escape. So either he's telling the truth or he's lying. We need to come back to our first love. We've missed it. There's so many areas, certain things that we think is normal, is wrong. It dishonors the Lord. But God is gracious, he's merciful, he's forgiving. But we have to repent. Not just feel bad and say sorry, but repent. Change of mind, change of attitude. We have to pray, Lord, work in me the will To do your good pleasure. Because there are some things where you don't want to do it. And I get it. But even with that, you have to be honest about it. And not super spiritualize it. Or blame the reason why because of somebody else. You know, sometimes if you're looking for an excuse to leave church, you'll you'll get the opportunity. You think, but, you know, why would God do that? Because... We need to see what's in our heart, and we have to know why we're serving the God we're serving. Because I mean, if if we're gonna if we're gonna sin, then let's just go and do it properly. And I'm not saying we should go and sin. I'm not saying that. Please, please. But but you understand, if if we're serving God, then let's serve Him. Let's give Him our whole heart, our mind our soul, everything about us, and our strength. Let's live each day. Okay, Lord, I want to live for you. I want to give you everything. Lord, help me today in my context to work that out. Jesus, give me the spirit of prayer. Help me to pray. Because I remember, you know, when we first got saved, some of us, we'd be scared to leave the house if we hadn't prayed. Not because we thought God hated us and the demon was going to get us, but it, we, we were just so dependent on Jesus the idea of leaving the house without praying would be like no I can't I need to but now weeks months we need to go back to our first love we need to ask Jesus to just just help us to give us grace well he's actually given us the grace by the power of the Holy Spirit we need to action that grace by cooperating with him And when his Holy Spirit speaks to us and challenges us and convicts us, we don't rationalize it or do what the devil said, has God really said. But we hear what his Spirit is saying to us. Now I know I've said a lot and I've gone all over the place. But we, we we, we need to sort it out. We really need to sort it out. We need to make him number one. Because if that's in place, all the other stuff will take care of itself. If you want light in a room, you don't carry handfuls of darkness out. You just switch the light on and the darkness disperses. We need to allow the light of Jesus to be switched on again in the very essence of who we are. And allow that to transform how some of us think, how some of us speak, how some of us behave. Whatever it is, we need to allow the Spirit of God to have liberty in our lives. We need to stop resisting Him and making excuses for our lukewarm, carnal lives. And I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to you. We need to come back to our first love. Jesus you're so good to us lord Father you said if your people who are called by your name would humble themselves and pray turn from their wicked ways that you'd heal their land Jesus have mercy on us Jesus would you help us once again to come back to you, to be devoted to you, Jesus, first and foremost. That we'd be committed to holiness, to pursuing you, to loving you with all our heart, our mind, our soul and our strength. That, Lord, we wouldn't walk in unforgiveness and pride and lust and cares of this world, and love of other things, whatever it is, Lord. Give us the courage to be honest with you, Lord, so we can truly repent and come back to the place of brokenness, of transparency. Lord, you said that you would build your church on the revelation of who your son is. Open our eyes, Lord. Anoint our eyes again to see Jesus. Jesus' name. Amen.